0: You guys are in New York? Yeah. We're no. in New York. Yeah, we're both in okay, uh, cool. Brooklyn. You're in Los Angeles right now?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm here for a little while. I live in Brooklyn, but I'm I'm uh, here working on a record.
0: Word. For
1: a couple of weeks.
0: You're Like your own record? Are you playing with someone? Or? Yeah, my own record. Awesome. Yeah. Oh,
2: exciting. Yeah. Well, listener, if you're wondering who the mystery man who's working on his own record is, that's the voice of one <laughs> Steve Gunn. And he's our guest today. He's a wonderful guitarist, musician. Lyricist too. He does it all. He writes everything. He plays a real triple his own music. He uh, actually, there is some great synergy uh, with a certain track today. On uh, considering that you, you That's Steve, true. covered a song which we're going to talk about on this episode oh. of Jokerman. Great, because today we're talking about the Isle of Wight festival show. From 1969.
0: yes, we sure are. Bob's big uh, comeback show uh, after uh, after the motorcycle accident. So this is uh, kind of the first of a couple different episodes we're going to try to do on uh, like live shows of uh, you know Bob throughout Bob's career, um, and starting off with really I think one of the one of the coolest ones, one of the best ones to talk about. Um, which uh yes Isle of Wight 1969 so Steve when we uh we were emailing about this a little bit and you know there were a couple of the ones that we were thinking about and you said you were kind of most interested in something like this what um what about this kind of time period or, or vibe or whatever is uh, is most uh, attractive to you
1: um well i mean i it was hard to choose you know <laughs> from like the the choices but this this particular concert, I think this era and just this sort of moment in the sixties and and the moment in Dylan's career is super interesting and it got more interesting as I learned more about it. Um, just because of you know the surround like basically what happened in Woodstock and how, you know, that festival in a way was sort of created with a vision of Dylan headlining this
0: festival. exactly.
1: And the fact that he kind of disdained it and didn't show up was a big deal. And in classic Dylan form, he goes and plays a smaller festival in England. And much much to people's befuddlement. Uh, Yeah, befuddlement and chagrin.
2: Yeah, well, Woodstock, of course, he was literally living in Woodstock, like – that was his home base at the time so yeah like the planning the whole thing it seems like oh surely like a like a cat to milk he will uh just come to our wonderful festival of course Dylan right. was quoted like i not verbatim but basically just saying like that he hated the people who would come and yeah. see him and he was raising a family at the time basically just trying right. trying desperately to be like a normal man and uh right. shake off this this glamorous mystique um you know, well half-heartedly shake off the glamorous mystique do it on his own terms now that he's like a family man. And uh, right. so of course part of that is um, saying uh, fuck off to, to all the people who are like <laughs> the most excited about him.
1: And it, and it's so interesting to think about, you know, that he had the foresight to, to, you know, that was sort of that whole festival was percolating and, and started, it was planned for so long and, and the fact that he didn't want to have any part of it is just so interesting because I think about you know what if he was a big part of it in a, in a way the festival can you imagine if he had headlined I mean Hendrix
2: yeah that's why played in too, the
1: morning you know play, Hendrix played in the morning obviously that's a very historical moment in itself but it was also you know a real picture of the darker side of, of the whole era where, you know, it's the next morning, everyone's fried on acid. Hendrix is kind of pissed off actually.
2: Um, I mean, that, Uh, what about not just about the way it was going.
1: If you listen, if you listen to, I think if you listen to, I don't, you know, I don't know how angry he was, but you can um, see, you know, when you listen to that set, you see the band and you see him. Um, I mean, they're just, they had been up all night (laughs) and it wasn't a, it wasn't this like sort of lovey dovey kind of thing. It was this super momentous concert in itself,
0: but it had Mm. a certain sheer, you know, there was a darkness to it. Ugliness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Better uh,
0: idea than, than reality kind of thing.
1: And when you listen, the music is so raw and powerful It's so intense,
2: whereas the Isle of Wight, I I feel like it's an interesting way to just view this moment like through these two festivals, through the lens of these two festivals. Yeah, right. Whereas the Isle of Wight, I feel like in many ways, is kind (laughs) of a uh, forward-looking, whether it meant to be or not, sort of cultural forward motion moment. Because the end of the 60s, -hmm. it's more cleaned up, it's more like... Well, we're we're still going to be like doing a ton of drugs and fucking around, but we kind of want this just to be uh, nice, you know. We we want to have a certain dignity to this thing now.
1: It seemed dignified. I I was reading about the Isle of Wight and how you know the town was really worried, you know, that people were going to go crazy, and they didn't have a big police force there on the island and you know, people obviously were smoking grass and stuff and getting naked and all that stuff, but it wasn't as, like, as crazy as Woodstock. It wasn't as, like, un- unhinged, and there weren't, you know, people getting hurt and people freaking out and not enough help. And-
2: I I wonder if that just says something about the American sensibility and the American cultural moment at in at the end of the 60s versus the British one, or... Yeah, where, where in America, I mean, yeah, Woodstock just seems like – I feel like a lot of people think about Woodstock as taking place in the middle of the 60s. Like most people probably who don't know much yeah. about it think, oh, yeah, that was like just right that smack dab in the middle of this moment. But I think it, it can be seen, yeah, as kind of like a, a desperate sort of uh, grasp at, at just trying to retain this feeling. And it gets a little, like you said, a little raw in in that. Whereas uh, the Isle of White is just like, I mean, we were just reading Ian and I some of the Rolling Stone write up about it from 1969, and it's yeah. like, yes, there was a lot of uh, a lot of people were doing drugs, um, but nobody was pushing anyone around, and like, it seems like the main thing that happened like the scandalous little moment was just this, a a beautiful couple made love during the set (laughs) and everyone, and everyone was like clapped Yeah, They they were like beautiful. Oh, like, uh, I don't
0: know. Some, somebody was like,
2: Oh yeah, baby, or whatever.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, I like the Austin Powers yeah, I, uh, impression there, Evan. A young
2: Austin Powers was uh, having before a he, sexual awakening, going before oh, he was frozen for three decades. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah, I mean- it's
1: interesting to to juxtapose those two festivals. I don't know how much time was in between them, in between them, but
0: I was just going to say I didn't. Really, I just pulled it up, uh, Woodstock up in in the background. The, the, two weeks. Woodstock was literally two That's weeks crazy. before wow. Isle of yeah. Wight. I had no. I like for some reason those seem like completely different. Like they happen in different years or different eras or something. And it's like the, literally two weeks in between the middle of August for Woodstock, wow. end of August for Isle of Wight.
2: And again, back to this idea of just where Dylan's at versus, um, you know, why he would decide to do this versus Woodstock. For one, one thing that comes to mind is like, I don't know how much he was offered to do Woodstock versus this one in terms of money. But um, it it just seems like even if that was the case, like this was a better fit for where he was at, because you see him, how how he's presented himself at this show. Um, and he's looking so, uh, he's dressed like in this kind of like in at the height of current fashion in a lot of ways. Like mm-hmm. he, the way he's dressed here is like how sort of really stylish Japanese guys dress now where they're like just <laughs> wearing like kind of Oxford yeah. shirts and like really nice slacks or jeans. And he's, a, he's an all he white. great. Little, yeah. Little boots. And like
1: everyone else is... You know? it's still on the, the tail end of like the bill bottoms and fringe and the hippie kind yeah, of movement. Exactly. And he's like, it's almost as if he's like a hip,
2: a hip buddy Holly or something. Yeah. He's, he's like totally cleaned up. Yeah. He looks great in the Rolling Stone a bit. It actually says, um, it, it remarks, uh, the writer, I don't know who it was, but basically says he comes out wearing this lo- sort of loose fitting suit and, he, and it, Parenthetically, goes Buddy Holly probably had one like this. So it's yeah. just like a cheeky aside, <laughs> like noting that like I think the one uh, comment that it references about what Dylan says about his new look uh, is that like I don't need gimmicks anymore. He says something. He apparently said that like the way I used to dress was kind of a mm. gimmick, e, and I'm not right. interested. Which I think is kind of telling. That he's yeah. he's recognized that he can now fill the shoes of of like a Johnny Cash type figure that he he's realized he's hit that point, and he doesn't want to mm-hmm. be like one of these uh, ragged uh, vanguard type people. He just wants to do the music and play it nicely.
1: Right. Right. Um, I also. It's interesting to think about what it, it seems like he went he went to the festival he because he was also enamored by the area He was such a huge Tennyson fan right. Like, and doesn't didn't he live there and he wanted to like visit the house yeah. and be on yeah. that land and yeah there was this inter-
0: there was this interview that he gave like a press conference right before the festival and you know he had a whole flock of british reporters asking him questions just like the old before. days uh, just like the right. old days exactly he was <laughs> much less of a prick to these guys but he's uh, also he like, a few years <laughs> he was there.
2: less he was even giving them less red meat to like chew on though he's just so he's like a, yeah. a he stonewalls. just a yeah, complete stone yeah. Face.
0: yeah but yeah the first question was why did come to the Isle of Wight and he said I wanted to see the home of Lord Tennyson
1: and get but also get paid $90,000 right (laughs) he
0: he left that he left that part unsaid
2: well they they asked him if he wanted if he was going to do any other tour dates and he's like we'll look at all the offers but we're we're just on a vacation basically
0: yeah
1: yeah it's also it's interesting because it didn't um wasn't there something happened on like his, one of his sons got injured or something. And yeah.
0: Yeah. Apparently I, one of his sons got hit by like a door or something right before the show or right before the fest, like a door opened into him and he got hospitalized or something. And did they
1: try to take a, did they, didn't, did they try to take a ship? to England or something or is
0: I, that? I think they had been planning I, to or something and then yeah, okay. for some reason it was delayed, you know, because of this, this hospitalization thing or with this kid. And so Bob just like got on a plane like a day or two before the oh, festival right, and just okay. flew straight there. But yeah, for a moment it seemed like it might have ended up falling through, uh, again, <laughs> kind of.
1: <laughs> it seemed, it's also very, it's so cool how, how kind of breathless the whole thing seems, seems to be, how. <laughs> It just adds to it even more like he might not show up. Right. You
2: know,
0: exactly. Uh,
1: And then he shows up the last minute, last second.
2: The whole thing had been leading up to Dylan as the, as the headliner. I don't think that the, the whole festival would have even really happened if he hadn't agreed to do it. It it seems like he was kind of what they were really, really hoping for as like the, because like the who were playing, but it's just like funny that like the who weren't, weren't enough at this point, even like they felt like they needed to compete with Woodstock, I guess, basically just in terms of like establishing their, their status as a real event. Like they wanted somebody who had, yeah, like a mythic uh, importance. And
1: I also read that, that who said is particularly insane because they were just trying to crop like just, decimate any of the talent there and be the best band in the universe. And by by all accounts, they were
2: the best, like hard rocking band. Yeah. Like Townsend went
1: crazy and they smashed all their equipment and they sort of destroyed the stage. You know, I'm sure the set was great. I mean, they're, they're not my favorite band in the world, but I'm sure it was pretty awesome. Right. Right. Amazing set. And I think they kind of gave it everything they possibly could and smashed their equipment. And and then what it was like, I think um, uh, Richie Havens played yeah, after I them. And that was like, because of
2: Dylan, like, I think
1: Dylan was it because of Grossman managed Richie Havens. Mm-hmm.
2: He said he um, would only do it if, if he, if Richie Havens played.
1: Right. So then he played and then the band played their set, right? And
0: then, and then Bob Dylan played. Okay. His set, yeah. and they'd been pl- they'd been thinking or planning or something. In the Rolling Stone article, they mentioned like people were gossiping or like talking like oh, we're gonna get a two or like a three hour set from Bob right. tonight. It's gonna be insane. And he played for like mm-hmm. like seventy five minutes or something. <laughs>
2: it was one hour. Yeah, I I think that now is a good time to start to get into the music because we haven't even talked yeah. about basically the. The the big punchline to all of this lead up is that the set that they got is um not the Bob Dylan that anybody who was like dropping acid before this set was expecting to see right um, certainly not it's not as it's not, not as
0: groovy as they'd hoped yeah not not what Dylan had appeared to be the last time anyone saw him in public it's it's not
2: that yeah. that fiery uh, Dylan but it's it's like. It's that it's the, it's the other rootsy, side. It's the right? the the, fi- the ice yeah. to the fire. It's uh Exactly. It's right. a totally beautiful thing. But um and it's a totally unique set, um a, an incredible show, and I think we should start to discuss the music of Bob Dylan at the
0: Isle of Wight in nineteen sixty nine. Let's uh let's hop right in. Let's do it. That's our, our gimmick, by the way, when we okay, <laughs> start nice. talking about the actual music. Okay. Like <laughs> uh, Okay, cool. Track one from the set, She Belongs to Me. Great She's song.
3: She's got everything she needs. She's
0: uh, about- <laughs> I, this Right off the bat, I love this. Is, yeah. yeah. So, folks, you got to know the, the best thing about this set, uh, and it's going to be predictable coming from me. Uh, Is the voice that Bob is deploying? uh, That that old CC, Mm -hmm. that country croon. The old country croon, Mm -hmm. the old Kermit the Frog voice. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. Um, You know, uh, I have always uh, uh, kind of lamented that there isn't much more in his career uh, besides Nashville and a little bit on self portrait here and there. Uh, You know, a couple of tracks you get that that country croon voice coming back, but that's really about it.
1: I read that his mother said that that was his natural singing voice.
0: Really? Yeah. That sounds. N- Isn't it? That-, <laughs> that is wow. absolutely batshit insane. You know what? I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past Bob to have this beautiful crooning natural singing voice, and then end up just adopting the you know insane voice that he actually ended up singing in for the rest of his career. That sounds exactly like something he would do.
2: I mean that that makes that, that checks out a little bit to me, just because. When you're a young boy, you know, say he was in the school choir or whatever, wherever his mother heard him singing, he was not, I'm sure, trying to sound cool right. as, a, as, a, as a boy. It was just coming out how he could most comfortably hit the notes. And when you hear him sing all throughout this show, the comfort and ease of him being able to hit these notes comes across because his voice is really great. All throughout it, and mm-hmm. it's really yeah. flexible. He seems like really in control.
1: He's, yeah, he seems well. Obviously, he seems rested and comfortable, mm-hmm. but in his in his singing.
2: Yeah, I, you
1: know, I heard if you if you listen to those really early recordings of Dylan, like the really early ones, right?
2: Like the fifty eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You can kind of hear. You can kind of hear him that part of that voice
0: in there right you now mm-hmm. yeah i guess that makes mm-hmm. sense because like he initially you know before he got into you know the folk kind of thing um uh, in the you know when he was 1920 whatever in college in the mood to new york he was he was a country <clears> guy <throat> he was into rock and country and country singers and I, obviously had like a long history of like really beautiful kind of crooning crooning voices um so it would it would make sense that 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 existed somewhere in his past before he turned into the you know Woody Guthrie impersonator and then everything that followed yeah. after that
1: Yeah right I was just going to say like I wonder when his obsession with Woody Guthrie really started probably when he was on his way to New York or We just yeah, did an episode
2: there. about the first record and it seems <laughs> that yeah it was like the year or so leading up to him actually going and traveling to New York yeah, when he went to Minneapolis, right, totally enrolled upset. in
0: college, and then you know, cool kids were hanging around. uh What, what was the name of the cool zone in Minneapolis? Again uh, in dink Dinky Dinky Town. Yeah, that was the cool. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> cool. That was the William the Williamsburg or the Bushwick of. uh, uh It's really not not the William the Bushwick <laughs> yeah, but, of Minneapolis in 1959. The, the Berlin of Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I mean, she belongs to me. It's great, great track, great version. Um, I think it's, uh, it's interesting how he, he, well, I guess we'll, we can, uh, I can save this a little bit for once we get uh, further down the set list, but he's, he's, it's interesting what, what era of his, uh, songbook he's picking and choosing from at this point. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she belongs to me, obviously, uh, one of the grades from side one of bringing it all back home. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it's uh, it's it's that point in time uh, when he starts like veering away from protest songs, obviously, and like starts uh, offering these kind of simpler, more Spartan um, songs that are a little more kind of puzzle boxy, hard to figure out. Um, and uh, and yet um,
2: he, here he's delivering that puzzle box lyricism as if it's like any old country song. Yeah, as plain as can be. He's just giving it to you, like the words just sort of tumbling out. He's really um, just delivering the song. Everybody like knows what it is because they uh, they can tell just from the the lyrics. But in a lot of ways, like um, this performance reminds me of like current day Dylan uh, and how he sort of treats his repertoire, mm. um, <laughs> where he's like sort of irreverently. Dishing up the songs that he knows everyone wants to hear, but he's not going to do it, uh, like in some sort of facsimile. Yeah, he doesn't. His- he doesn't
1: quite do like a full rearrangement of it, but yeah, he sort of veers veers in and out.
2: This version you know. is yeah, it's kind of like it's it's clearly that not the guy that was probably on the posters for this show. Like, I I actually saw a poster. Um, just doing some research, like the ads that people for like the Isle of Wight festival, it's just like, you know, like a shitty picture of Dylan with like the big frizzy hair and dark right. sunglasses. Yeah. And it's I like, saw that. yeah,
0: completely not like that guy it's is not day. the guy it's who's a actually person. on stage. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Beatles are in the, in the audience, by the way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There was a rumor, yeah. there was a rumor that, uh, that, um, uh, you know, I guess even back in the sixties, they had this, you know, stupid fucking festival culture where everyone was psyched about, um, um, you know, surprise guests and features and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and there was a rumor that the, the Beatles were going to play with Bob, um, oh, well, uh, on, uh, on the set, um, And uh, they actually mentioned this in the, in the, in this interview that Bob gave Uh, one of the press uh, people was like, what about report? Yeah. He said, what about reports that various people will perform with you on stage? Uh, And then Bob's answer to that was great. Great. (laughs) 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 My favorite part of
2: the press conferences, like the questions was you sent me something in where somebody asked him, do you feel that cameras are like guns? (laughs) And he said, I don't know. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Next question. (laughs) It's just so, it's so
2: funny. Like that, that question is just like so clearly just (laughs) that person's ideas about Dylan just like overflowing to the point where like they were just probably holding on to that question like for three years. If I ever see (laughs) Dylan, I'm going to ask him like at the uh, apex of their acid trip. They're like one of these days I'm going to, I know that he's going to have something crazy to say about this question. (laughs) He's just like, I don't know. I, in that same interview or that same press conference, he's like, it's my job to stay taking it easy so I can play the music good, basically.
0: Yeah, the, that was the that was his last line, the last question. So the last question was, what exactly is your position on politics and music? And Bob says, my job is to play music. I've answered enough questions in <laughs> the interview.
2: He's like, I got to take it easy because if I don't, then I won't play the good music for you yeah
0: track two Uh, track two yeah uh another great song threw it all away
2: yeah Mm. what a great tune
0: we
1: love it when so nashville skyline came out that same year right
0: yeah like that was the most recent record that had come out. Uh, there, there, was another version of the, um, the poster actually, um, uh, where they've got just like a big kind of like uh, mimeographed version of the Isle of Wight or not the Isle of the, uh, Nashville skyline cover as like, you know, kind of the cover image on the poster. So that was the, wow. the newest so it's shit. A big record. Yeah. Yeah. That's
2: so cool. I mean, is there another show that's recorded like this from that era at all?
1: I don't think well, so. Well, I don't think yeah. I don't because he wasn't when, really
0: touring. Like he played this right, show. Right. And this is the
1: first one. Yeah, this
0: is the first show. The first show back after the motorcycle thing, and <laughs> then, uh, and then yeah. I, I don't wonder know. what the next
1: one was. I wonder what the following gig was. Yeah, yeah I really have question. no idea.
0: Uh, I mean, because he didn't really mount a big like a big big tour until '74. You know, when they did the Before the Flood uh, record um again with the band and that's a totally different kind of version of all this shit at that point. Um, but I think in between then, like if they played anything I don't think there was much.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, uh, you know, anything. So
1: I'm also, I, this, I'm also so interested in, um, what these rehearsals
0: were like. Right. It,
2: well, apparently they were playing a lot uh, in this. Write-up. They were. Yeah. It, it the band was like the, the write up in Rolling Stone at the time makes it sound like the band was almost like tired out and like, not that interested in playing as much as Dylan was. <clears throat> he was like feverishly just jamming with them. And um, mm-hmm. I think that the, like they frame it like he was just, endlessly playing music with them and um, then asking Dylan, of course, he says something like uh, just a little practice (laughs) we're just practicing
1: (laughs) you wore them out
0: I I mean, I think a lot of the rehearsal for this must have taken place like during the Basement Tapes recording right? Cause that was 67, I guess. I mean, I, that was a little earlier than this, right? 67, 68. But like, that was, that's clearly yeah. kind of the sound and vibe that they were able to reproduce on the, um, on the stage. A couple of these tracks almost sound like they're, you know, straight out of, uh, the basement tapes. Yeah. I mean, um, another
2: reason why it's so exciting and like awesome to hear because just transporting the basement tapes vibe onto a stage in front of thousands of people. is just such a yeah. crazy idea. Yeah. That's well, I, I'm so cool. wondering
1: if they had a rehearsal there. Like, I guess Dylan just got there. Did he show up the day of the
0: show? I think he got there like a day or two before, I think maybe. Cause I, I thought I read that they had rehearsed in a house
1: somewhere you know somewhere on the island
0: yeah oh yeah yeah. yeah I see this actually and, right here before the festival Dylan and the band rehearsed at Forland's Farm in Bembridge and were joined there joined there by George Harrison Bembridge. Um, mm. uh, and then on Saturday uh, oh yeah and then they're just saying like a couple of the Beatles showed up the day before Bob played
1: and it's cool because George seems like he's the closer one like because he was in Woodstock I think yeah He spent time at Dylan's place Mm -hmm. maybe in, maybe the year before, maybe in 68. I can't, I don't know what when, but like right around that time he was staying at his place. And it's also interesting to see the correlation of, of all things must pass and the influence of Dylan on that too. And, you know, maybe maybe vice versa too with Nashville Skyline not yeah. exactly sure
0: but yeah that's a good point yeah I mean uh, the those, those uh, all things must pass cuts like the the version of um, of um, if not for you of uh, not for you exactly on, on yeah. uh, right. all things I think completely like just blows the new morning version of the song totally. away totally. even though Bob wrote it like the definitive version of it I think undoubtedly is George just with that you know kind of a weeping guitar line and stuff <laughs>
1: And then th- there's a song behind it's called like behind closed doors on it's the on George Harrison it, like all things must pass. it's it's about Dylan. It's about like this him coming to Isle of Wight wow, you know, shit! first concert. Like coming out. out of Yeah. I can't remember the exact title, it's like behind I can sing it by Locked know. Door. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I didn't realize that was about bomb. I think I re- yeah, I think I read that somewhere. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, well,
2: well I, I threw it all away. Uh, by the way, <laughs> I guess we should just talk about it for a second. But I mean, we've talked about it a million times. Yeah. I uh, just it I mean, it's way. a pretty
0: straightforward take. Like th- that's the thing, like the couple uh, Nashville songs on, uh, on this set are, are pretty faithful reproductions of them. Like everything that comes earlier has been kind of reworked a little bit to fit in with the sound and the vibe that's going on. But I mean, th- the vibe that they were reproducing was basically the Nashville vibe. So I threw it all the way is fantastic song and you know, fantastically presented.
2: It's awesome to hear it. Uh, just yeah, the live tour that never was of, of Nashville Skyline. So uh why would that be bad? It's great. Obviously. Yeah, and I, I looked yeah.
0: I looked it up actually. So uh they they played two kind of warm up shows um in sixty nine before Isle of Wight. Um I guess not even two. One of them was on the Johnny Cash show, T V show. Oh wow, May. yeah. Uh, then there was one at Southern Illinois University, uh July fourteenth, nineteen sixty nine, Isle of Wight, August thirty first. Uh, Then there aren't any other Bob performances until August 1971, when he participates in the concert for Bangladesh with the George put on uh, at Madison Square Garden, and then another George
1: reference. There you go. Uh,
0: And then nothing else until '74. So, like this was it from like like, in terms of big sets. Like this was the one between 1966 and 1974.
2: Wow. Yeah, it's it's so strange how many like pivotal or singular moments in Dylan's career are wrapped up in England or have something to do with being in England. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. It's kind of uh, like the old joke of just like somebody being big in Japan or big in France. It's (laughs) like, but I, I think it does say a bit about like English rock fandom that like yeah. I don't, I've never been able to totally put my finger on it, but English rock fans seem to just have this kind of like, not always in a good way, like emotional commitment and like imaginative life surrounding the rock music that like,
1: I think it's music in general too. Like there's a, there's a very deep appreciation for music. Yeah. And maybe that, you know, maybe that's also falls in line with like the culture and the, their folk their folk appreciation yeah, I mean for, this is these are the people who
2: were pissed at him yeah, when he was right uh, embracing the trappings of like modern rock what became modern rock yeah Judas uh, <clears throat> yeah I mean that's like so performative <laughs> it's just like so like uh histrionic in a way but uh like it seems yeah. just to be something that is in a way just like authentically British is to part of the British culture is to like have an unhealthy parasocial relationship with, with rock musicians. And I,
1: I also think that there's a there's a certain there's a there's a, a real limit on just general dignity in the states around this time. Right. Where you know this you're talking the Vietnam era, you're talking just like complete just damage. Just right. total damage. And I feel like the impetus particularly for festivals and for concerts you see it later at altamont and other other events where Good point. it's just like yeah everything there's just a certain level of
0: bad vibes. uncontrolled
1: bad vibes mm-hmm. you know and maybe obviously dylan probably picked up on that earlier on and just didn't didn't want to associate himself and didn't want to present his music in, in that context
2: yeah this might be like sort of a leap but it, it sort of seems to me like around this time in the states rock music was starting to become something of an accessory to your your vibe or like the lifestyle that you wanted to sort of align yourself with. And in the UK, yeah. it was still something a little bit more personal to people where they thought right. of it more intellectually still and, and actually kind of associated it with, this is the artist I like because I believe in what they're about. Like Pink Floyd was about right. to become like the biggest thing, a, a, a group who's like, Main thrust kind of seems to be all about like I stand against this and this and this, and this is what I believe in, or like having critical mm-hmm. thought where whereas in the u s things are just kind of on this slippery slope just toward uh, masquerade of like cultural signifiers,
0: right,
1: yeah, and it you know maybe. <laughs> maybe the Woodstock festival was like, you know, the ultimate commodification of this, this movement where the, the lines were so blurry, like, you know, it, it, it was more about the counterculture and less about the actual culture of, of what was making, what was going into the music is about, Oh, let's, you know, we got to, we got to get to this festival regardless of, you know, how we're going to get there and how many people are there. And yeah, just completely torch,
0: like, the, the, yeah, it's the like, countryside wasn't even about, there.
1: It <laughs> wasn't really even about the music, per se, yeah. you know, in, in certain ways. And
2: on, on the other hand, I mean, not, not to, like, undermine any point we may have made, but um, <laughs> there is just, like, a quote in that uh, Rolling Stone piece about um, Isle of Wight. Where like some girl is asked like well why do you why'd you all come here and she's like well we we like the music but also everybody here is kind of like me and we all kind of think the same way. <laughs> 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 so I mean it's just two different styles.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I
2: don't think that it's it's not the last word in either of these. Like these are just freeze frame moments in time. Of course, right. American rock music would grow to become possibly like more intellectual than. British rock music, in a lot of ways, it it didn't stagnate, really. It just became more and more interesting and less and less popular.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, next song?
2: Another classic. And uh, the first banger, really, on the set list.
0: Absolutely. Old Maggie's Farm.
1: Which, when... Yeah, this is probably one of my more favorite tunes that he does with the band they just always like slam dunk this one yeah it seems
2: yeah all all the more rocking songs with the band in this moment they really have their vision together how they want it to go it sounds Mm -hmm. really organic and nobody's doing anything too showy it's all everybody's kind of doing something interesting and it just comes together really nicely right
0: yeah, it's, uh, it's a great version of a uh, great song. Maggie's Farm definitely seems like a live favorite of Bob's yeah. and also one that he likes to reinterpret a lot. Uh, like, I don't know, Steve, if you've listened to many of the other like live records later on, like uh, Hard Rain mm-hmm. or uh, Budokan, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, but it, he does Maggie's Farm, both yeah. of those yeah. also, and they're completely, uh, just completely blown out, like reinterpreted yeah. versions. And this one is like semi-faithful to the original cut. It's a little... Uh obviously, you know, kind of more down home country ish because of the whole vibe they were going for, but it's a little sharper than some of the other songs in this set. Um but yeah, I, I, like Maggie's farm almost seems like like um like a template or something or or like a, a tester song that he uses at different points throughout his career to like like give this new vibe or this new like kind of approach, like a a, a test run through the same song mm-hmm. from year to year to year.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, I really
1: like the, this version and the version that was
0: remastered
1: for the self-portrait. I, guess, I think it's on that like, it's on that box set.
0: Yeah, the bootleg series uh, cut?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a bootleg. I, had a, I have a bootleg of you know a really poorly pressed bootleg of that that I listened to a lot, so it was really cool to hear it sort of fixed remastered right so good yeah do you have a particular favorite version oh, a favorite <laughs> of this version and talk about of maggie's farm of,
0: yeah I, if I were gonna answer, I would probably say the Budokan version, which is. I just was gonna say yeah, it's pretty great. Shit <laughs> and like the 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 strings and the disco stomp. It's like yeah, is that the well one
2: yeah. that goes exactly. I was gonna
0: say that's my favorite version too. It's like I feel like Budokan is a great like like test sort of thing. Like if you dig it, like hell yeah. If you don't, you know, I'd say I know what kind of Bob fan you are.
1: Oh, dude, Budokan. It's a peak. It's some kind of peak. I don't
0: know what. Some kind yeah, of peak. It's exactly.
2: Peak. It's the uh, like weird cousin of of this show. This other singular moment where Dylan is like a fish out of water in a different country, yeah. springing bringing some weird version of himself on an audience, <laughs> and they love. Yeah,
1: him. I just had this, you know, m- like this thought where you where you get into a car with your friend and you put Budokan on in the car, and your friend's gonna either think you're a total, like there, there's a line drawn there. Right. And Budokan really draws a line, so if, your friend's gonna either think like, God, oh, dude, absolutely he's one of those.
0: It's a way to create you know, a lifelong, like unshakable <gasps> bond, or uh, end a friendship really quickly.
2: <laughs>
0: there's, yeah, yeah. there's no. There's no in between. Yeah.
2: I think that the chances are, you know, in your face, like if, if they don't like Budokan, it's okay that like, you can just, you can drop them off. You're driving yeah, the car in this case, in this scenario, <laughs> yeah. you can just drop them off and you can listen to Budokan on your own.
0: If you don't like yeah, me exactly. at my Budokan, you don't deserve me at my <laughs> like, blonde on blonde. <laughs> yeah.
1: You drop them off and then you roll the windows down and drive a little faster and then you put on Budokan.
2: Yeah what's the next um, tune on on this uh set
0: uh well next tune i think this is the one you were talking about earlier evan uh first cover uh on the set uh oh, yeah. wild mountain time wild which... mountain time <clears throat> yes sir you can maybe speak to a little more uh, authoritative to uh, listeners for those at home uh steve and cas mccombs uh, released a cover of this song what just like last year right uh yeah last year yeah yeah
2: it's great. How did you? Um, I was listening it, to it this morning. Uh, yeah, it's so fantastic. Was, oh, cool. Uh, sipping my coffee.
1: Thanks. Um, I, I mean, I. So I had this bootleg. I bought it years and years ago, and of you know the Iowa white bootleg, right? And
2: before it was officially <coughs> released. As yeah, a, before it was
1: officially yeah. released. It was a, a beat-up LP. I can't remember where I got it. It was somewhere on the road. It may have, may have even been in Europe. I can't remember, but I listened to it a lot, and I just became so enamored and obsessed with this version of this song um, because of the delivery, the way that Dylan sings, right. and the fact that he does a solo song after Maggie's farm, which is like the sort of barn burner tune of, of Dylan's repertoire. Right. Um, so I guess maybe that was a moment of a respite in the set, but at the same time, I just felt like it was this statement and it was a song that was originally, I guess it's a sc- Irish Scottish folk tune that is pretty standard in the repertoires of people playing folk music. I didn't know that back then, But I kind of, you know, learned a little bit more about that song and heard so many different versions since then. But for me, he he is he he is perform. He just seems really comfortable, and his his singing is so emotive, and it's just it's it's a different. It's a he he kind of steps into that different persona. It's not exactly the Nashville skyline voice, the Kermit the Frog situation, but it's like a half Kermit.
2: <laughs> yeah, Well, that's that sweet spot. Yeah, it's his sweet... Planet Waves is kind of a whole record of just of that f- feel yeah. where he's not quite doing the overcommitted thing, which can be great, but yeah, no, this... I, it's I, just t- a beautiful... I, I'm totally with you. It's just, yeah, it's beautiful. It just sounds beautiful.
1: And the way that his range, he's almost, he's singing really in this very soulful way. That mm. To me, it's a super powerful. And when, when I had this bootleg, and before I heard, you know, the remastered version of it, um, it, it the quality of the recording on this LP bootleg, it, you know, it almost sounded like a, Recording from the Harry Smith folk collection or something where he, right. he just embodied this song. And he and the arrangement is just, you know, is different than some of the other arrangements that I've heard other folk singers cover. And it's just interesting. He kind of just slipped this into the set. Mm-hmm. Imagine being in front of how many? 20, 15,000 people. Right. And... Stepping up and just playing
0: the song. Uh, this, yeah, this me. is the this is the fourth song that Bob Dylan yeah, is playing in his big song. comeback concert. Yeah. I think
2: it's important to remember though that like this is uh, around the same time that Dylan pulls out a Copper Kettle. He's mm-hmm. going to do
0: that pretty soon, right? On Self Portrait,
2: which is another sim. You know, similarly, just like really gorgeous traditional style song. Um, I know that a couple was fucking during this set. I, if they <laughs> had any sense of timing, they they would do it right here.
0: Should have done it during this one. Yeah, yeah. This is um, this is I, uh, like this is the first acoustic um, track on the you know on, in the show on, on uh, during the set um, after the electric beginning there, um, and uh, and so I'm wondering if this was kind of like the invention of that. Because Bob obviously goes on to do this, you know, quite a bit throughout the rest of his career at live shows where he starts off electric, then has an acoustic kind of pause and then brings the band back out and and finishes Mm -hmm. electric. I wonder if
2: if the Dead had done that or made that part of their thing at this point, because I know they've done that. That's been that has been like a sort of type of thing that the Dead would do. They would do, like, electric,
1: then acoustic, and Yeah, yeah, or or, uh,
2: sometimes mixing it up in various other ways, but um, incorporating an acoustic part to the show. Mm -hmm. I'm not that well-versed that I know they've... I I believe they've done acoustic, like, in the middle. But um, in any case, it really works really well. And uh, as far as Wild Mountain, (laughs) I just will say that on, on a certain streaming service... It's it's listed as Wild Mountain Time, like T I M E. T I M Mm A, yeah. Like (laughs) like like Black Monk Time, nice. But uh, that's a mistake. (laughs) Anyway, you should listen to this song. It's gorgeous, and put it on a playlist for someone you love.
1: Exactly. It's also haunting. It's not even just beautiful. It's sort of there's it's it has a bunch of different kinds of qualities you did know? you and, and, and Cass cast, yeah. uh,
2: cast McCombs, when you were you both uh, enamored of this version is, is that something that you decided to do uh, or is that just a lark and
1: w- yeah we we were kind of hanging out and doing some recording together and we were we were doing some cover cover songs and he he, he pulled out a michael hurley song and he asked me what I wanted to do and i he he was he was definitely familiar with that with with wild mountain time because he's you know he knows his folk stuff um, and he told me he covered that song at a friend's wedding and
0: oh wow that must have been I, fantastic
1: yeah Gosh. um and you know he was like oh yeah I would love to do that and I I basically just played the arrangement that that Dylan did. That Bob did. Yeah, that Bob did. Um Well, I tried to. I mean I was just that was really that was my only I had never really listened to that song too much. Any, i haven't i hadn't heard any other version so that's just the sort of one
0: that i knew right the reference point yeah that's and that's, yeah. that's how that folk kind of music like works is like like people will just hear one version right and then you yeah, reinterpret that right. version but then someone else heard someone other person some other person's version and then when they reinterpret it it goes like in a completely other direction so like it it kind of metastasizes and grows into this enormous kind of thing over time over the decades yeah, with it right. turns into just completely distinct songs even though it all started off from the same you know origination point
1: um that's makes me think of Bert Janch and you know jimmy page's relationship with folk music and how right. you can hear so much of his playing and other people who are who are you know from a different generation all really, well, probably around the same age but more steeped in, you know, the, the traditional song structures and the, the, and kind of combining different sorts of like styles of playing. Right.
2: I don't think it's a coincidence mm-hmm. that a lot of the artists who seem to devote a lot of attention and interest into folk music and the roots of folk music tend to be pretty successful. Like... I think that there's yeah. something to that. Um successful like in terms of critically or commercially, but I I think it just adds like a richness and a depth to to people's music who who like, devote that time to seeing where so much of what they're into came from that like mm-hmm. people even if you don't know that stuff, you can sense it as a listener. Yeah. Of course, with someone like-, like Dylan, it's just like like a hyper concentrated like shot uh, of that because he's <laughs> so obviously like just lives and breathes it and always has and uh with that, I think we can mosey on down to the next tune, which is a song that I didn't even <laughs> like that much for like so long, and I've so I've just become like wow, well, I just never really. I think every time I've heard, I've heard other versions of it, and now actually I really, really love the song. But for a long time, I just, I kind of took it for granted. But this version is one that I I don't think I ever would have disliked the song if this was the first version I heard.
0: Right. It Ain't Me, Babe. Yeah. Of course, is the song we're talking about.
2: Because it's, this is, for my money, like the best version of it that I've ever Mm. heard.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. similar to Wild Mountain Time, really all of the, the tracks in this little like a run of acoustic songs uh, that we're in the middle of now, like there's just there's something kind of like like magical in the way that Bob is able to to sing these songs with this voice and the you know kind of just accompanying himself on the guitar. Like I don't know, um, I mean it, it's it's just a perfect kind of mixture. It's so simple and like pure and concentrated. Like this is the perfect kind of synthesis of like everything that he had been yeah. doing up until this point. And with this new kind of voice layered on top of it, like it's, I don't know, it, it's everything that I, I, I would want, um, out mm-hmm. of, out of a live performance from him.
2: You hardly hear the band, uh, stop playing. Like I, I found myself, just wondering, like, well, well, when did the band even stop? It, yeah, they kind of just melt which away, which is kind of like the best thing about an, a, a good, a great acoustic set is that you don't miss the band at all. You, it feels totally full somehow.
1: Yeah,
0: and yeah, I mean, it ain't me, babe. Classic. Uh, so I, I can't believe you never, you never done this one,
2: Evan. Well, I, I think it took a, a minute just to like let it sink in. And I regret giving zero stars to um, Real Live only because <laughs> uh, <laughs> because uh, that version of It Ain't Me, Babe is still got. It's kind of good. It's, I still end up thinking about it sometimes. And you also
1: have to give credit to you know the band, like Robbie Robertson and the band. I mean, they're just like so good on this on, at this show,
0: mm-hmm. right? This is, this is, I think like to my mind, like exactly what I want out of the band. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Are you a big band guy, Steve? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm more, I'm, I'm not like, I like
1: the band, but I also like, I kind of like the band with Dylan. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's
0: kind of our, our feelings about it too.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I really like, their trajectory and I like their history and I like their playing at uh, Robbie Robertson is such a great guitar player. And right. They're all great. Um, and the story behind where they came from and how they were Ronnie Hawkins band and they played all the, this Chitlin circuit and right. all the, all the bars and really learned how to be real rock and roll. They're like real. It's like the real rock and roll.
0: Right. Players, you know? They came up, came up the right way. Up,
1: yeah. Um,
0: So I really respect that
1: and I really dig them, but you know, I'm not like the hugest fan. And
0: you're not throwing on band records all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I also think that it's, I like them. This may sound weird, but they're, they're funky, you know, they're like, they're soulful. They're not just some session guys. I mean, those guys are all, you know, the uh, many people that played on Dylan records across the ages, are amazing in their own way. But for me, I feel like he picked a perfect bar band uh, in a way to to get behind him and to, to kind of push him in a certain direction and mix his influences. And I think it really, it works Totally. Particularly yeah. in this concert, this concert's like a, the perfect example.
0: The perfect. Right? Yeah, exactly. I think, I think the two of them to get like Bob plus the band. It, yeah. Really is kind of like the perfect synthesis. Cause it's before Bob starts doing the hired gun thing where he's just bringing in whoever. Um, yeah. and, uh, and he, you know, goes away from that a little later on down the road, but you know, later in the seventies street legal and stuff. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, um <laughs> good record. Um, yeah. but, um, um. Yeah, I. I, I think uh, they. They make the most sense together, and this version of them. Yeah, I think really, really works. Um, because uh, you know, before the flood, for instance, is uh, a lot of fun too. But like by the time mm. you get to that, that's that's just a totally different kind of thing. Um, and uh, too much, you know, too much on that. Like this is the right. This is the right vibe, the right approach for for Bob and the band to be taken in a live setting.
1: And I don't really. I don't want to bring up Bloomfield. Too much in this conversation <laughs> because it does it's not it's not really correlate with this era. But he's, <laughs> I think he's my favorite guitar player. That just certain there's a certain window and like Newport and stuff where, right, Bloomfield's playing mm. is kind of un, it's unhinged and unbelievable, right? Um, but that's a whole different thing. That's a sonically that's a kind of a different thing. It's not really rooted in 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 like traditional rock and roll. It's just the unhinged kind of maniac maniacal guitar playing, which I Work. find really fascinating and right. amazing. Um, but I i would just, you know, I think that Robertson and the band are perfect accompaniment. Damn,
2: he died really young. I didn't realize. Mike Bloomfield? Yeah, 37.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, there's something almost like... um you know on those record like the you know the studio cuts and shit of bring it all back home or sixty one or for instance there's something like almost kind of punk rock about a lot of the um the guitar playing on that that you mm-hmm. that isn't there so much on the band the band is like you said like funky and kind of like more laid back and like still technically impressive and stuff, but there's a, there's an edge to it that like in, you know, in the studio mm-hmm. at that time, it, it was sharp and it like just kicked you in the, kicked you in the teeth. And when yeah. the band plays it, it's, you know, it's, it's still great, but it's not, it doesn't have that same kind of like, you know, it, it, like a couple of the tracks on, um, blonde on bond or, or, um, bring it all back home. Almost like, there's almost like a velvet underground tone to the guitar.
3: Yeah, I-
1: there's I, there's this one and it, it was also a remastered I think, but there's one video there's one film of Dylan playing at Newport, mm-hmm. um, maybe it's '65 and Bloomfield's playing with him, and I think they do Maggie's Farm right. actually, um, and it sounds it's cr- like Dylan keeps looking back at him and like laughing because it's it almost <laughs> sounds like Sonic Youth. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it's completely wild. It's, it's so cool. I got to so check cool. that out. And, and to think about being there and how loud it must have been. Right. You know. Um, it's just it's incredible
0: yeah not only loud like literally loud but also like being at Newport and like not expecting <laughs> it to be loud in the first place <laughs> yeah. yeah, right right. it's one thing when you go to a, a show at a club and you're expecting it to be loud but yeah if you're just uh some Newport Very, folk your, hat's and- yeah. <laughs> your
2: hat's blowing off yeah your hat's blowing off because you're like not expecting to be confronted with like a genre that doesn't exist yet <laughs> like just like <laughs> oh I thought I was gonna see somebody do a my grandfather's clock.
0: <laughs> right, camptown races. <laughs>
2: well, uh, on that note, the next the next song is also just sort of a uh, th- this is not knocking anyone's hat off. It's just making you maybe slow dance or uh, th- wistfully uh, l- look at the beautiful unite the the skies of the Isle of Wight. This perfect. is perfect. This mm. is uh uh, song for R- uh, Ramona here,
0: to Ramona, yeah, another great. It's fantastic. Set it's list. really,
2: really good. This uh, is a perfect little. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this whole little section of the acoustic part of the set is just like pitch perfect. Um, the songs just like lead so seamlessly into each other. You almost mm-hmm. don't even notice when "It Ain't Me, Babe" stops, and uh, "To Ramona" starts, and just yeah, it's like per- perfect ballad.
0: I thought for a second you were going to say you also didn't really ever like this one until you heard this version. No, no, no. Uh, but I, I will
2: say that I don't know that I've like really paid attention to it as much as when I've heard this version. Something about this just has such energy that like um, makes some of these more low key numbers kind of like really hit.
0: Yeah. The way Bob accompanies himself on the guitar on this one, there's like, he, there's, he, he's like really on it. And there's like a moment like where he'll, he like is strumming and then he like stops and then goes along into the next verse. Um, he does that a couple of times. It's just like, it's, there's like a drama to it. It's, it's, Mm. it's chilled out. And like, you know, everyone's, uh, gazing at the sky of the Isle of Wight, uh, as you said, Evan. But yeah. there's also like you know, he's 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 not he's not like chilled out just because he's up there by but himself. His with voice the
2: sounds so good. He just sounds yeah. His so voice good. is so
1: good.
0: Yeah,
2: it's so he's, he internet.
1: got enough rest. Yeah, he got enough rest. Yeah, he, he I guess says, that's it
2: he, he said he was taking it easy, and uh, his job is to play music, so he's got to take it easy to to be able to do that. <laughs> Which, which means he's he, got that
1: breezy. He's, he's, had, he's got a
2: breezy, loose-fitting suit on. Yeah, he had like a great breakfast. Probably he looks healthy. Yeah, full English.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's got. Yeah, he's got the black pudding and the tomatoes and stuff. <gasps> to, I guess that's the to answer. Put it in
2: Bob's right? own words. He's he's keeping it on the level. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this is maybe where he even
0: discovered how to keep it on the level, how to keep it on the level. Absolutely. Well,
1: it's also crazy to think about how old is he? Like 30, 29,
0: 29. Yeah. Yeah. That, That blows my mind. Yeah. And look at, yeah, look at the set list. He's like this, like if, like, if, it's you, like, were, it's if like you were the a set band list of an
2: elder statesman of, of yeah, music, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. This is like a greatest hit set list that you play <laughs> when you are like a 60 year old and you're, you know, touring arenas and stuff and just trying to cash in on stuff. And he's, this is just like, you know, he's reeling them off. There's 10 other songs that could have been on this set list too. I
1: know. Well, and he's already reinventing himself.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean,
1: again, again.
2: And, and the next tune that he just seamlessly waltzes into is uh, Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man.
0: Where Another perfect song.
2: The whole crowd classy. is just That's like... It's a classy move. It's very yeah. classy. It's an extremely classy move to, to do this number. And it's so just like warm and fuzzy to hear the crowd.
0: Yeah, uh, they go wild for it. They love yeah. to
2: hear a song that they know in life. Yeah. Uh, the and English, it's like, they,
1: they, they, I don't know if this is a generalization, but the English love a familiar song. They love singing along. They like,
2: you know, I mean, they want to, they want to like. their culture. They're, they have yeah. their whole culture of yeah, these songs, right. the bar songs and like Being in pubs drinking and songs. Yeah.
1: Grabbing your buddy and singing.
0: Singing you know, along. Now yeah.
1: it's 20 years ago was Oasis, but
2: you know. Yeah. I mean, this is the culture that like turned, um, seven nation army into just like something that you sing at a, fo- a football game.
0: Right. Or right. chant, uh, chant for Jeremy Corbyn too.
2: Yeah. Oh, Jeremy
0: Corbyn. <laughs> do you notice Steve, like when you, when you tour in England uh, versus in the States, is it like a different, do you like pick up on a different kind of energy from the audience?
1: I do. I, I, I really, I, I, I love playing in, in England and there's just a different, I don't know. There's like a, a very serious level of appreciation for, for music. I mean, you know, you do have your rowdy sort of pub light pub culture kind of stuff where there's a lot of glass and beers and, you know, that kind of thing and rambunctious people, the lads, but the the sort of lad vibe, like lad football kind of thing. But yeah generally i think that there's just like a there's a heightened appreciate like appreciation for music i don't know i don't know how to i don't know how to pinpoint it but there' certainly it's certainly is still there you
0: know? yeah yeah i've uh, i've only ever been to i am obviously not a touring musician uh and i've only ever been across the Atlantic once um or twice uh, a couple times but it just like the few shows i've gone to uh in the u k and in europe had seem to have a different kind of vibe to uh to what you get you know, especially kind of the the smaller
1: towns and smaller cities right know, right people yeah people just love it it's like you know and it's it's just different it's not it has a different sort of feel than perhaps in the states where right you're in like a rock club and i mean there are obviously there are rock clubs but it just feels a little yeah there's a certain kind of warmth that, that yeah, becomes, a little warmer becomes,
2: yeah yeah a little warmer yeah, yeah just so tickles me as a as someone with a bob dylan podcast to um, (laughs) to hear uh to hear that that country croon with that harmonica doing tambourine man it's just like kind of scratches an itch and and it's also
1: not to get back to his being a deep appreciator of dylan when he's in the zone and when he's comfortable and when he's being himself you can it's it's kind of palpable right and yeah it makes you like it, ma- it makes you enjoy it you're like damn like he's this is the real you know the real deal
2: i do think that like there's something to the beatles being in the crowd uh, that he yeah. is like yeah, that's actually a good point he's got uh, he's got to be thinking like <laughs> i'm not gonna show my ass at this show like i'm going to be good for this one yeah Yeah, because I guess
0: this is August 69 so the Beatles are basically done as a band right and and it's been years since they've even toured or like played a show really so yeah but that
2: level of like
0: well so I think I I think what he wants to do is go up there and say like hey George you know John Paul Ringo everyone like look at what I can still fucking do Uh, mm -hmm. and and it's and it's easy as pie you guys are all kind of in your head about it and stuff and I can just walk up here in my white suit
2: yeah I can tour and
0: (laughs) just completely kill it yeah, that, yeah,
2: and he's that's, not. Yeah, it's a comparison like... I've never made. It's just like the sort of stage fright or like anxiety of the Beatles, you know, just becoming the no, yeah, you know, a studio-only band at this point. That, I don't. That's kind of unusual, like, right? Like, there's that's still pretty unprecedented in a lot of ways. Except yeah, for I mean, like XTC, who were really the unrecognized, but Beatles of the 80s sure. Becoming yeah. a Steely Dan, a of
0: course, the Beatles of the seventies, uh, right. <laughs> quit, quit touring as well. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think when, when the band just stops touring, that's a sign that, uh, something is going wrong somewhere. It's even a if they're sign still that something's great going great. It's no a word. sign that
2: every, everybody is of sound mind. Yep. Everyone's no problems the, the at right all. The right amount of drugs and feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're not staying on the level maybe. And, uh, right. It's if anything, Dylan. At this show, is just showing like he's he's basking in the glory of this uh, newfound normalcy in his life, mm-hmm. and um,
1: and it's an effortless bask. Almost, he's just sort of being. Mm-hmm. He's had his rest. He's yeah. recovered from his quote unquote accident.
2: Of right. course, this is like the <laughs> only show accident. that he'll do for the next four years, like five years, but it's a good one. So, and the Beatles were in the crowd, so he wasn't going to fumble the ball.
0: Yeah. I do. I do think there's something to say also for that, um, you know, like you just mentioned there is Steve, effortlessness, like, and there's this quote from the, that we mentioned a little bit from that interview he gave, uh, but he said explicitly, do you think you've changed very much since we last saw you in London? your clothes and hair have changed. Uh, and he says, I believe there's a conscious thing since the accident. I haven't really changed. It had more to do with the show I was doing than anything else. It really had nothing to do with me personally. That stuff was all for publicity. I don't do that kind of thing anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. That seems weird that he would even say that out loud. Uh,
0: it, it does seem kind of weird that he would be willing to put that out there. Um, but yeah, there's, there is, there is like a lack of pretension, I think that comes across at, in this show. And like, he's not, he's not trying to prove a point or, you know, get people to get pissed or whatever. He's just like, you know, I'm just yeah. here to vibe. And yeah, he does he, a great job of it.
2: He's That's so surprising how candid he is about feeling like he doesn't have to prove himself. Right. Um, but well, I that, guess that, that, that again, comes that's, with, with that's what happens when you turn father, into an honest
0: family man. Yeah.
2: When you turn into a pop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's so funny to think that, you know, the, the Who, who, who had just like given every ounce of their energy and one hundred percent of their live act and towns and hammering on his guitar as hard as he can, and they smack they you know, cast you know, ends up with their all their instruments smashed and the drums on the ground, and they're sweeping up after the concert, and then Dylan just goes out there like he's like he's on a you know like he's at home, just like he kind of has that ease where he's just, when you listen to that boo, it almost sounds like, they're, you know, playing in a small place and they're comfortable. and.
0: Yeah. Like he's playing in his backyard he, or something up in what's yeah,
1: like, a, maybe a handful of people there, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the, the complete antithesis of uh, the who like <laughs> destroying the fucking exactly. set. Yeah. Sticking drum, drumsticks through the bass and stuff.
2: Well, if, if there's anything I have to say about, uh, your music, Steve, it's I feel like you, uh, Consistently seem to embody this this ethos. I think in your music, it feels very. Um, let's just say you're not smashing your guitar um, <laughs> on, on, on Saturday night. Live. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good thing that I think more more and more more and more people are saying that our, uh, rock and roll artists should be comfortable and seem to be not having a bad time. It's uh maybe a good yeah. thing to to try to model yourself after if you want to last
0: <laughs> yeah for yeah, sure good way to stick with it I actually had a a quick question on the note of your music, Steve we don't need to turn this into a your own interview here but um uh, oh, no, it's okay. on um on way out Weather, the last um the last track tommy's congo i think um or tommy is yeah. Tommy's yeah drum tommy's congo um I'm bad yeah, titles. That's yeah. The one. Um, no, that's the title. yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it's, so- it almost sounds to me like, um, like the melody or like, like you, you swiped kind of the vocal like pattern from Bob on, um, uh, on it's all right. Ma on that. Was that, is that like something Whoa. conscious or? No, I, I
1: have to, re- I don't think so, but it might, may have been subconscious.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Good. um a likely um, excuse. Yeah, that's a good.
0: <laughs> good oh yeah, excuse. we can, we can cut this. Uh, I, you, you know, if you no, don't no, want no, to no, send no. your royalties uh, to, to the kidding. Bob Dylan estate. Yeah, yeah. No, no. He's,
2: he's aching um, for money. Right
0: I'm sure I'm going to hear from his, his people. His yeah. people, yeah.
2: Yeah, for that song.
0: No,
1: to be honest, like I don't, I don't think so. I didn't, and like, but man, I'm such a huge fan. I probably, probably just like, you know
0: seeps in somehow. Yeah. 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 It's just such a, like a, uh, like just the way he delivers that song and the melody and the rhythm is so like lasered in my brain that anytime I hear something that's like even fractionally kind of similar to it, I, I like make that connection. And clearly right. sometimes it's legitimate and sometimes it, it is not. On it
1: probably always is legitimate because right. I mean, I hear you hear so many, so much music where it's since Dylan that,
2: well, sounds of, like him of course you know. that it's all right ma was not even something Dylan invented in terms of like the vocal um, the the meter and, uh, and whatnot it's it's a song that I mean highway 51 is that the, the one on the first record right yeah from
0: from Dylan 62
2: it's the same exact thing
0: kind of deliberate yeah
2: yeah it's just it's one of is these there, like yeah copy is and a- pasteable sort
0: of
1: is it like a cadence delivery thing yeah, or yeah. is
0: it yeah right. yeah yeah exactly it's uh it's uh, i would just say for the record i definitely ripped them off i don't know if it's
1: <laughs> i'm not gonna get out of saying i didn't because i i don't even remember i can't even think of what the song sounds like in my, head. my own
2: song Dylan is only ever doing that, so you're you're in good company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if,
0: yeah, if you're ripping off other people's music, you're you're following in the footsteps of greats, <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, that, that stupid quote that a great artist, good artists copy and great artists steal. Um, it's is a quote that I I think I mentioned on the podcast before. I find kind of like it's true, but I guess it's it's just one of those things that I feel like people say with a sort of like. Gloating expression. Anyway, it's true, kind of. <laughs> but uh, the next song, anyway, uh, what a what a treat, isn't it? it? This is like bread and butter to you, Ian. Like country croon Ooh. version of I, of St Augustine here.
0: Yep, very nice.
1: One of my favorites, I'd say.
2: Yeah, this, great song. This next two song uh, lineup here is just like
0: it's catnip for me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, the uh, I dreamed I saw Saint Augustine. Is kind of a spare, very languid. The, the, band, the band is back for this one. We're done with the we're done with the the acoustic shit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's it's still not like very intense or rockin', Very kind of spare and like um, yeah, loping. Um, well, we're kind of taking
2: back off from this sort of very touching and um, storybook like tambourine man. And so right. it's kind of just like the easing back into the the flow of the, the whole band involvement.
1: Right, And it's nice because it's not, it's a bit, and again, solid set list. What a nice transition from like a refreshing sort of cool drink of water of Tambourine Man into a more pensive, I Dream of St. Augustine kind of, and it's also, yeah, it might not be the most, obviously it's not the most recognizable song to the crowd. Right. Probably. Um it's nice. He's he's kind of he's throwing he's throwing those cream puffs out there and then he's reeling it back in.
2: You hear some people <laughs> in the crowd respond when they realize yeah, what song yeah, yeah. this is. Which is cool. I just love the idea of people in the crowd in 69 being like, "Oh, oh, Mike, this is from uh, John Wesley Harding." <laughs> <laughs> oh, this ju- is from John Wesley Harding, isn't it? <laughs> And, uh, and just love it, loving that. but I, I wonder if this was like originally on the set list, or if he was—he must just have been seething uh, under his like perfectly pressed suit, you know, that he couldn't play uh, along the watchtower. Because I'm, I'm he, so glad that all along the watchtower the,
0: is not in this. Set well, list. he
2: couldn't do it because it was just covered. Like, didn't didn't uh, Jimmy play it at the uh, at Woodstock? At Woodstock? Did he or he had mo- he had recently played it anyway? Like, I'm sure, right?
0: Uh, he probably played it at Woodstock. Yeah, I, uh, I think he, he did. Had, yeah, he had already yeah.
2: dropped the bomb of like this is this is or, the defi- new definitive version of that, song. or
1: maybe that single came out like that year or the year before or something like that. So,
0: right? Yeah,
2: I could be wrong, <clears throat> but um, yeah, that's that's always just been like an. In- We've talked about this on the pod before of just like mm-hmm. how Dylan must have sort of like. The, how the song used to be something very different than what it became after the, the Jimmy version in a lot of yeah. ways, but not to digress too far. Um, uh, this is a cool, I, I just love to see like, uh, J- John Wesley deep cut, basically an yeah. album cut yeah. rather
0: yeah. show up here. And, and a record that he has like not really played a whole lot from besides all along the watchtower. Um, and, um, um, you know, there's there's a couple other John Wesley cuts that are gonna be in this set list, but like even throughout the rest of his career, had, like he's he's literally never played John Wesley Harding the song once mm-hmm. ever. Um yeah. uh, and it's such a great rate, right? like I feel like oh, you Well, know, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's so good. And uh, yeah, this 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 vibe and this like set that he's got or the setup that he has really really works well for John Wesley Harding kind of cuts and mm-hmm. Nashville Scotland cuts, obviously, as mm-hmm. we're about to see.
2: Yeah, with Lay Lady Lay. Well, that ends side one uh, for our purposes of part one the, Part one of the Isle of Wight uh, festival extravaganza with uh, Steve Gunn, our guest. Join us next time where we uh, just simply enjoy the next half of the set uh, in 1969. Isle of Wight. Bob Dylan wearing white. Everyone having a good time, a great amount of LSD. Jokerman Oh the summertime
3: is a coming and the leaves are sweetly blooming and the wild mountain time blooms around the purple heather. Will you go, let a sea go, and we'll all go together to pull wild wild, wild, mountain time. True love You know You know i should Find another To pull away wild Mountain time From all around The purple heather Where you go And I See I will be of the tower At the foot of the fountain And in all it I will put All the flowers of the mountain Where you go? Last you go Oh, the springtime is coming, and the weavers are sweetly singing, and the wild mountain time blooms around the purple heather. Oh, Will you go, last?